Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. We're caught earlier today with Cesar Gonzalez. He's the CEO of Selfish Royalty Corp. We talk about spinning out their royalty assets, also look at their silver assets. A great conversation, lays it all out for us. If you want our thoughts on the conversation, the topics, and the company itself, you can find that at cruxinvestor.com forward slash club. You can also find detailed company reports and analysis in there. There are summaries of other interviews that we've done just to save you some time. There are training courses to help you with your diligence. And of course, there's commentary from experts from around the world on a variety of companies and commodities, which you might find interesting. So go and join our thriving community of investors sharing their thoughts and ideas with each other in a nice, safe, friendly environment. Sounds nice, right? So go and join them, cruxinvestor.com forward slash club. Cesar, how are you? I'm doing all right. It's uh, early here, but um, I'm happy to be sitting down with you. Where are you? I'm in Kansas City, which, um, you know, uh, we had a, an event on Sunday that a lot of people in the city are not too happy about. Our Chiefs went to the Super Bowl for the second time in a row, but uh, but didn't win. Didn't work out. Oh dear. Yeah. It, well, it, yeah. Well, it, you know, I, I didn't watch it for the first time in in, in years. Um, was it a good game though? No, it was actually our star quarterback's worst game ever. So he picked a bad time to have his worst game ever. Oh boy. Okay. Still smarting, still smarting from that. Okay, well, we, we better talk business <laughs> to yeah. distract you from that. Um, well, look, but before we do, because there's a lot of lot of moving parts that I want to um, talk about with you today, but before we do, can you give us a one minute overview of your business and I'll pick it up from there. Sailfish Royalty Corp owns royalties in the Americas. We have um, royalties in Nicaragua, Brazil, Nevada, and Mexico. And we also have a silver property in the prolific San Dimas district in Mexico in the state of Durango that we've squirreled away uh, over the years uh, through the transactions that we've done. Um, so that's something that I want to highlight today because it's no longer time to uh, to be squirreling away a silver asset with silver doing what it's doing. Right. Okay. Like, th- thank, thanks for that. Doing, but when I was doing the research on this company, uh- I wasn't so sure you were serious about being a royalty company. What's what's the model? Well, the the reason for that, Matt, and we, we get that a lot. Um, it seems to be the the royal the model in, in royalties is to buy, 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 and and develop and get bigger, uh, get scale. But what we have done is we've also for, uh, created a portfolio. Um, we started in 2014 as a private company inside of a mining company called Marlin Gold. Today, that's called Mako. But we've been very selective about what we've acquired. Our primary backer is Wexford Capital, and they have hurdle rates for what they, they consider to be good deals. And so with that in mind, we were only allowed to go after transactions that uh, we knew Wexford would would back us on, either for the cash portion of the transaction or because they were the largest shareholder. So um, we've not been able to grow as quickly as some of our peers, but we think we've been able to grow smartly. Okay, so talk to me about that because th- there is a model out there, which is you, you you build a big portfolio, people get excited because you're doing deals, it's future value, it's gonna be okay. You're saying, well, actually that doesn't really work. The, the jury is out. Uh, over, we will know over time. What I see today are 
transactions where um, you can tell that they're, that they're done for the sake of, of growth. And uh, some of the, uh, I, I don't think there's a, that large an investor base to absorb all of these, uh, these companies that are trying to do the same thing. So I, I'm, I'm a believer in scale. I think there are enough junior royalty companies that are publicly traded today that if they were to start to consolidate, that would actually create value. I think some of these portfolios have kind of hit their 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 limits, and now it's time to to just put them together and, and have a, a vehicle that investors can get behind with, with a liquidity and with diversification and create value that way. That, that's a really interesting observation. I, I think you're going to be unusual in the sense that most CEOs would be clinging onto their jobs and don't really want to do a consolidation. It doesn't suit them personally, but you're saying the industry needs to do this for those projects to actually you know, be able to create value for shareholders. When we created Sailfish, it was a spin out from, as I said, Marlin. And my partner and I were very clear. We were going to run this as a separate business because um, it started to get scale. We had two royalties in the company at that point. And we weren't going to spend a lot in GNA. Um, since then, so this company was officially traded on January of 2018. It was actually my birthday, January 4th. And um, we didn't, we haven't taken a salary since then. Um, we had three employees, myself, my partner, Akiba, and then a controller in the British Virgin Islands. And, um, and today we have four employees. You know, uh, we've added a, a CFO, uh, Brian McKenzie, from the transaction we did in 2019 with Terraco. And um, we don't plan on adding too many more employees of any, um, you know, until the, this company has stable source of cash flow, we don't plan on paying ourselves. We've been compensated entirely with options for Akiba and me. And I think that changes our perspective on how to run the company. If, um, if there's a good acquisition to be done, we will take a look. But if somebody wants to acquire us, we are an open door. We've, I've had many conversations with our peers and I'm not afraid to lose my job because I think of myself more as a shareholder than I do as um, you know, an, you know, an officer of the company. So who's going to do this? It's all right, as you say. I mean, one not taking a salary says a lot, or should say a lot to shareholders. You are definitely aligned in that sense. But the the value of the assets then is really important to you. And sitting, and I said at the beginning, I'm not quite sure you're serious about being a royalty company. I guess you're answering that and saying. We've got good royalties, but perhaps they'd be better served sitting in another vehicle. So what is that other vehicle? Well, the ideal partner for us would be a royalty company that has current cash flow, but doesn't have, you know, the the um, the prospects that, that we have, the longer dated prospects. So our portfolio, we have a small royalty that pays uh, out of Mexico called El Compas. And then we have San Albino, which is Mako's project in Nicaragua that is um, already starting to produce gold in small amounts, but it's ramping up. So that's great because it gives us uh, some current cash flow. We're expecting that to ramp up uh, in March, April. And then beyond that, we have um, two royalties on large projects, one in Brazil, one in Nevada that are owned by operators, Eldorado and Waterton, that have, um, that have not made production decisions. So the Tokens and Zinho project in Brazil is owned by Eldorado, 
has a full feasibility study. It's permitted, ready to go. But El Dorado has indicated they want to sell the project and not build it themselves. So we were sitting there waiting for somebody to, to come in and buy it and then to put their flag down and say, I bought this project not to, to sit on it, but to build it. And that would be uh, very good for, for the royalty. It would give some clarity on the timeline to production because cash flow matters in, 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 ro in the royalty space. And then on with uh, Spring Valley, it's a 5 million ounce deposit in Pershing County, one of the largest undeveloped uh, gold projects in Nevada. But it's owned by a private equity firm out of Toronto called Waterton that um, th because they're private, they don't have to put out press releases about you know a new drill hole or a PFS that they've put together or permits that they've received. So that has also created some murkiness around that royalty. Again, another potential world-class royalty, a 3% on a 5 million ounce deposit. You don't, in Nevada, you don't see those coming around too many, uh, too many times. In fact, um, at today's gold prices, assuming, you know, this was fully uh, ramped up, that would be a more than $10 million a year royalty net of taxes. I, I don't think there are too many junior companies around with a royalty that would singularly pay over 10 million US in cash. So those are longer dated. The perfect partner would be somebody with current cash flow that needs to backfill and show growth over a longer term period by plugging in our you know, royalties to their portfolio. Okay, with royalties, um, if they were private companies, it just wouldn't work. The fact that you can leverage future value in the public market is the reason that royalty companies, you know, do do succeed. Um, we 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 can argue um, whether or not it's um, we, we can argue over the numbers, quite frankly. Um, but what is this vehicle? Just coming back, to, I'm just trying to understand. So you can you can have a partner come in, or someone could go and do a roll up of these smaller companies because I think there's a lot of royalty companies of a certain size who are struggling to, well, they're either overpaying or they're struggling to find deals which actually um, mean anything to their bottom line now, because cash is king. Who, who's got the energy to do that if it is a roll-up situation? There are a couple of guys who have um, come onto the scene recently that I think uh, would be good counterparties. I don't want to you know, call them out, um, but the, the sector you know, it has grown dramatically. Um, and there seems to be new players every day. Um, one of the guys that I've seen uh, grow in the last couple of years that I have a lot of respect for because I saw them at, at their previous company and they're about my age group um, are, uh, are the guys from Nomad. You know, they, they've come onto the scene and, um, you know, have grown quickly. They have a partner like, like we do in Wexford, an investor. Uh, they have uh, Orion who we have a lot of respect for. My partner used to work with that group uh, before he joined uh, Wexford and we got together. So um, there are there are players out there with capital, with backing, with uh, the current cash flow, looking to to fill their portfolio in on the on the on the backside and and, and get that good nav valuation. Right. Okay. I guess that's it. We'll have to sit back and see. But I agree with you. Possibly something needs needs to happen because what what we're seeing is a lot of these new entrants coming in now because they see these they they see the space hotting up, getting excited. But the fundamentals possibly aren't there to back that up. Oh, I think um, as I said, people have done a good job of doing steps one and two, and now it, I think step three is is consolidation and. You know, we, we saw that coming a while back. And so we took a step back and said, look, what we have, 
we're, we, we like what we have. Um, let's just wait a little bit. Let, let the precious metals prices do their things. Let these guys, you know, uh, look at the portfolios that are out there, acquire some of these portfolios and then kind of let things settle out. And, you know, also time is, is helpful for us because we need some movement on Token Tanzino and Spring Valley, right? Whenever we discuss uh, our company with our peers, with other corporates, uh, we get pushback on, well, what's the timeline to production for these two assets? Because those are two really big ones. San Albino, we have actually a lot of control over because my partner, Akiba, and I are also, um, you know, part of Mako. And, and we know exactly the timeline that that um, is on. And so we can give uh, definitive answers there. But the other two are true third-party royalties. And we have to, we have to watch El Dorado's press releases and, and hope for, you know, Waterton to transact. So um, time has actually been helpful for us okay. to sit and wait. So, so let's, let's talk about San Albino. So what can you tell us? We haven't spoken to uh, Akiva for a while. So what can you tell us about San Albino and, and the timing? Well, Akiba does a good job of updating his Twitter. <laughs> He's on there um, you know, every day giving investors uh, you know, some tidbits here and there, pictures more importantly. And uh, there was a picture that was posted, I believe on February 1st. Um, it was taken on January 31st of some, um, the running joke is these are uh, you know, golden Hershey kisses. They're, um, they're little uh, gold pours that, that occurred in our laboratory. And these came from uh, concentrates that, that came from our gravity circuit. So no uh, you know, cyanide, this didn't go through the full processing method. It came just from uh, literally a, a shaking table. You know, we have uh, gold that, that uh, about anywhere from 30 to, to you know, we're trying to see what the high end would be, but 30 to 45% of the gold is gonna come out this way. And so we're, we're producing that gold already. Um, so the plumbing works, at least a portion of it, and the other portion we're getting up and running. So, so we've we've hit the the finish line, um, at least the first phase of the finish line. You know, the second phase will be to actually hit commercial production, which is still uh, expected in, in early Q2. So call it May, April, May, somewhere thereabouts. Okay, and how's that ramp up for you? What does it mean for you? For us, it's it's huge. Um, you know, we've been receiving a small amount of cash flow from a royalty in Mexico, El Compas, a mine run by Endeavor Silver. And um, San Albino will be our first you know, real uh, royalty to, to generate you know, enough cash flow to not only cover all the GNA, which is not very much, but to, um, to start uh, using that to consistently buy back our shares. That's the, the form we've, we've been using to return cash to shareholders. And we've, we're on our second buyback. Uh, in Canada, they're called NCIVs, normal course issuer bids. The first one was uh, 2.8 million shares between June and July of 19 and 20. And then um, our second one, uh, we're, we, we can buy up to 3 million shares, and we're already 1.8 million shares into that. So call it another 1.2 million between now and July. And uh, with the cash flow from San Albino, we will be able to do a third one <laughs> and, um, you know, if the company is around long enough, we'll do a fourth, and you know we'll just we'll just keep buying back our stock until we uh, we get the share price to where it needs to be. Okay, and talk to me about how this ramps up because again, I haven't spoken with the keeper for a while. So, what's your expectation for this year, so financially, what it means to you? Well, um, I'll give ranges because I have to give be careful on guidance. Um, so at San Albino, I think this year, considering that they 
won't be um, that Mako won't be in commercial production till around April or so. Um, you know, so it's not a full year. I'd say if, if they were able to produce 30,000 ounces this year, we would be happy with that. So we get um, the equivalent of 3%, 3% NSR on that, no tax. This is treated as a uh, active income in the British Virgin Islands. Uh, so it's structured as a stream, but it's equivalent to 3% NSR. So, you know, that gets us to 900 ounces or so, um, which at today's gold price is, uh, you know, not a bad take. Not bad. Okay, so that's expectation. And then ongoing, what, what's Akiba aiming for on an annualized basis for the next few years? I think from the 500 ton per day scenario, San Albino only, you know, you're looking at um, a, a 40 to 50,000 ounce a year mine, um, at least for the next uh, three years on the San Albino open pit only. Right, okay. So short term, or as you use in your PowerPoint, imminent uh, cash flows from that. The other two, you're not in control and it's a bit hard to work out the timing on that one. Okay. But you've got another feature here because I, I do want to come back to this thing about you know, what, what the future looks like for your company. You've got another um, project, which is the Gabalanes Silver Project. And there's much talked about spin outs and spin co's in the market from you guys. So why are you talking that language? Well, Sailfish itself was a spin spin out of, of Marlin. You know, we saw we had one royalty in there and we had a transaction tied up to do a second one. So we had San Albino and we had Token Zenzino tied up. And we thought, okay, these two are enough to, to be our own publicly traded royalty company. And so we we did a spin co contemporaneous with the acquisition of Token Zenzino. We paid the uh, TZ vendors in cash and shares of the spin co. And, um, you know, as we look at Sailfish today, we have a similar situation with Gavilanes, where over the course of, you know, being a publicly traded company, there was a restructuring, restructuring done on San Albino, which um, got us the Gavilanes assets, some cash and some other things, royalties from, from Marlin. And, um, and we always knew that there would be a day when we would put Gavilanes together with something else uh, or it's, or by on its own and push it out. And with silver prices, you know, in the $27 range, the chart looking fantastic. Um, we think now is the time to be doing that. So we're working on a 43101 to update the historic 43101 on this project. When we acquired Gavilanes, that was in 2017 in, in Marlin. Um, you know, it had, it was missing a very important concession that we have since acquired from Silvercrest. So it was 10 concessions when we acquired it from Santa Cruz. It's 11 concessions now, 13 and a half thousand hectares. Um, it's had only about 47 holes put into it, which is I think 9,600 meters of, of drilling. So, so limited, but in that limited drilling, they were able to put together a resource showing a, about 34 million silver equivalent ounces with the majority of it being silver. So it's a, and it's a prolific district. You know, we've got 25 kilometers to the uh, the west, the uh, San Dimas Tayoldita mine, which is operated by First Majestic. It used to be a company called Primero Mining, and before that it was inside of Gold Corp, and before that it was inside of Lewis Min. This mine has been in continuous operation for decades, and it produces gold and silver at some of the highest grades in all of Mexico, which is saying a lot. And we're 25 Ks to the east in this district with a with a massive land package, 13 and a half thousand hectares, 
pretty much contiguous, you know, um, and only 47 holes have been drilled into this. So, so this property needs to find a home, not inside of a royalty company, but on its own, where there's a real exploration budget, where there's a real team that, that is prioritizing this, that's giving it its, its full attention. And, um, you know, as soon as that 43101 report is complete, which should be around March, um, we're going to, we're going to spin it out and, and we've got plans, uh, to combine it with another asset. But if anybody is hearing this presentation and wants to take a look at the asset and is serious, we're, we're open for business. So we're, we're evaluating all options. You, you certainly are because it, it seems to me that I'm trying to work out, I'm trying to work out why it's, why this is happening. Is it because you've got, you've, you've got 10 shareholders hold 70% of your business and that's, not necessarily good for liquidity. You've got one of those shareholders, fifty-four percent, and the, and which, which is great because they've got big deep pockets. But at the same time, they control the, the board and and how you go about driving value for you know current shareholders. Are they restricted? You, have you felt have you felt restricted in any way by having someone like um, you know Wexford on there telling you how to run your business? No, and um, of the five directors at Sailfish. Three are independent. Two are based in the British Virgin Islands, Walter and Alessandro. And then the third is in Toronto, a guy named Michael Stergianis, who um, I met years ago when he was a research analyst. So so it's Akiba and myself, which are, you know, we're still consultants for Wexford. We, we started as employees there years ago. Um, and then three independent directors. And at Mako, uh, of the seven directors, only two are affiliated with Wexford and the other five are, are truly independent. So uh, actually one of them used to work at Wexford years ago. So call it th three of the, of the seven to be, just to be honest. And um, so we, we like to have independent directors on our boards to make sure that there is a, a sounding board and that um, we don't fall into the trap of, oh, well, this is the way we do things. And the, you know, this is how we were, taught to look at investments at Wexford and, and that's what we're going to do and just, you know, get into the circular loop. We, we like to have people. You know, it's the reason why I'm on this interview with you this morning, Matt, you know, you ask tough questions, you get to the cut to the core of things and, and that's good. If somebody's just lobbing you softballs, you know, does nobody any good. So, um, but, but Wexford d definitely does have a, a lens of how they view the world and, um, and it's reflected in our companies. Uh, you know, with Mako, for example, we put that asset into production uh, really quickly. Um, we're using the uh, the mill if you, to 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 kind of test uh, the the deposit, if you will. But it's because we have a high degree of confidence in our internal team and what they're able to do. Um, at Sailfish, we have this Gavilanes property that we've incubated for um, for a while now, over two years. And some of our royalty peers might say, you know, what are you doing? You know, you don't, you don't keep a property in here. The concession taxes on this were only about 185,000 a year. And uh, the silver price was quite low over the time frame. It, it recently started to, to go up. So I think we did our shareholders a, a, a service, a very valuable uh, service to, to hold onto this, pay the small amount of money that needed to be paid to keep it in good standing. And now that um, there's a little bit of foam in the mouth of some investors on on silver to, to push it out. Okay. But you know what I'm getting at here is like you're, you're kind of walking slowly towards the 
end of sailfish as we know it. You're saying, well, let's let's spin out the royalty projects. Let's spin out the the silver. What's left? A, a, a vehicle um, doing doing what? Or, or, I mean, how, how, how does, why is this good for shareholders, the way, the way that you're kind of constructing this story? Sure. So um, if, you're, if you have ever, you know, gambled, played blackjack or, or you know, there, there's a, or just place bets, there's the concept of a parlay where you can, you know, take your winnings from one bet and place them in, into another bet. And, and for us, Sailfish, um, is a, we, we got it to scale. One of our royalties is now starting to produce uh, at San Albino. We've had a small one producing the whole time. And we've got two, you know, big boys that uh, are going to take a little more time. And uh, we'd love for those royalties to be part of a larger vehicle, more diversified vehicle. If we were to go down the path of becoming that vehicle ourselves, I think we would have a lot of um, battle scars along the way. Um, You know, instead of, reducing our share count by doing buybacks, we would have a lot more shares. And unless you start getting credit early on um, to do the roll up, it becomes, it actually works against you. If your share price is low and you go out and do an acquisition and the shareholders don't like it, maybe your share price goes lower and you devolve instead of evolve. So um, it's not risk-free. You know, everyone looks at Franco and Wheaton and Royal and says, well, I'm going to do what they did. They started a lot long, lot, lot longer ago. They uh, were innovators, uh, especially with regards to streams. And um, there were a lot more mines in that time frame being built that required financing for them to insert themselves and get really good deals. So, you know, you can't look at the. We talked about the Super Bowl when we started. You know, you can't look at Tom Brady and say, "Hey, look, he did it. I can do it." Well, you know, that's pretty rare. <laughs> Um, it's, it's sometimes these things are just not that easily re- replicated. But do, but do you not think somewhere along the line, if we had behaved a different way? So I, I, I get that Wexford is careful with its cash and it's kind of very selective with the types of deals that it wanted to do. But when you look at some of these promotional royalty companies who go out there and they, they get, deliver big headlines, we're doing lots of deals. Um, oh, we've done another deal and it's, in the shadow of a big producer somewhere close to us. And, you know, they, they talk up that game, but it, it delivers them. And, and, you know, and I don't necessarily believe what they say, but it, it delivers them many multiples on their investment as a result because the market follows them and believes them. So you're not tempted to just play the market differently. Why, why play the straight guy? Well, um, that strategy has worked for, I'd say, a few of these um, junior guys, but not all of them. And, you know, I, 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 I applaud the guys that it's worked for. I, in fact, um, I know a lot of those guys, and I respect them. And, um, you know, I'm constantly speaking to them because of the situation we're in, where we're, we're peers, competitors, but really want to, to find a, a, you know, a partner for our portfolio. So, um, I think really it goes back to the, the, the shareholding by Wexford. You know, um, we, we weren't uh, necessarily allowed to go out and buy everything that we could get our hands on. And, um, you know, that's, that's just, that really is the, the history there. It, it's, it's, 
not more complicated than that. <laughs> well, like, like I, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with your model at all. I, you know, I think um, it's great for some quick wins, short-term gains, but at some point that other promotional model falls over because you're you're overpaying. The multiples are ludicrous. The cash isn't there to support it or justify it. But well, uh, Matt, I, I would just um, you know like to remind people that uh, the biggest royalty companies who have the most experience acquiring assets over decades, they haven't been very active recently. Um, you know, and I think a lot of it is that they have high hurdles themselves, that they're not gonna go after a $5 million transaction. They're gonna go after a hundred million or 200 million or, or even larger transaction. So it has something to do with that. I do think that there are some smaller royalties, the odd lots, if you will, that can be a creative. And um, a couple of our peers have been successful in, in tying those up and, and you know, building a business um, that way. Uh, so some, that has something to do with it. But also I think these big guys kind of, they, they see some of the portfolios that are coming out and they think, you know, it's just not the right price. And even though they're trading at very nice valuations, you know, some of the, the larger guys trade at multiple times on their nav um, and they've still kind of sat back and watched so it's it's in, it's an interesting time. A lot of royalty guys, um, and, and and I'm just being honest with with you, with uh, your your audience, your viewers, as to where we fit in in all of this. You know, because you get a group of ten companies, three want to do this strategy, four want to do that strategy, and the other three want to do this strategy. If we were all trying to pursue the same strategy, you know, it would be really crowded. <laughs> I think I think already think it is. So you just want to finish off on this. So your to use your phrase, the the the, the parlay. You think that you can create incremental additional value for your current shareholders by following the the plan that you're laying out for us or you've laid out for us here today. And if that is the case, have you got any control over the timing of that? We have control over the timing of Gavilanis. That's, you know, I was, we were hoping to do something quicker there, but uh, we do have to abide by exchange rules and they require, um, you know, 43101s for this deposit and uh, the other one that we're, we're hoping to combine with it uh, at the Spinco. So, so those are taking time. You know, we want to make sure we do good work. Uh, at Mako, we hired uh, MDA, uh, Steve Ristorcelli, to do the resource update there. And we're hiring the same group to do the resource update for Gavilanis and also for a property that um, that we'd like to combine this with a silver and gold property in Arizona called Commonwealth. So we're, we're working on both 43101s at the same time. We're hoping to get them out by March. And at that point, once that happens, we'll be able to give firmer plans with regards to the spin out. So that's one thing that's totally in our control. Um, another thing that's in our control is we're constantly talking to our, our peers, to the other royalty companies. And if one um, just so happens to like something that we're doing, maybe not the whole company, but you know, a piece of the company, you know, don't be surprised if we, we do something um, in, in pieces, things in pieces to kind of show people, hey, you're not valuing our assets properly in the market. We, um, you know, we're, we're investors. We, you know, I, I started my career at Lehman Brothers in, in their private equity group was in the investment banking analyst class. So we, you know, like you, Matt, we, we know the game. We can, you know, we, we can try to make, be the masters of our own destiny here. We're not gonna sit around and just wait. 
you know, we, we keep buying back our shares. That's another um, thing that we're in control of with the excess cash that we have. So uh, we're not just sitting around, you know, that's not what I do. I, I'm, I'm very active in the background on this company, but um, like I said, it's just hard for us to, to get in there and, and duke it out on processes that have 12, 13 guys signing CAs and uh, are just killing each other over, you know, who's going to pay the most. That, that just doesn't sound attractive to me. It doesn't sound attractive to me either in any circumstance. Fantastic. Well, look, that's a great run through of how you're laying things out going forward. Makes sense. Um, I look forward to sort of seeing you know, how things progress, obviously, with San Albino, with that, 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 that's uh, imminent, as you say, cash flow wise. And I hope you get those other projects over the line. Um, love, to, love to speak to you again soon. So stay in touch. Be delighted to take yeah, your phone call. Yourself. This is great. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to CruxCast or our website, cruxinvestor.com and of course our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming and we'll speak to you again soon.